How we going? How you going, team? You good? Awesome. Can I encourage you? I know it's late. I know it's late in the piece, but get to shout. Get to shout. It will it will change your world. And get your friends to shout as well. Shout them a ticket. Uh, that's why it's called shout. You're supposed to get your friends there. Uh, I just made that up. But it could be. It should be. Um, yeah, I saw a, a pastor friend who had posted on uh, on Facebook, oh, I'm going to shout. And some smart aleck said, what? What are you going to shout? Um, so... Yeah, yeah, you're going to shout me to shout. Hey, we're in a series called Living the Dream, all about the life of Joseph. Joseph's an Old Testament guy found in Genesis, and uh, we've been on this journey. It's been a long journey because there was a large hiatus in the middle, Um, but this is the final in our series on the life of Joseph. And uh, just to get you up to speed, if you don't know about Joseph, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's the one with the Technicolor dream coat. He's the young man who, uh, who was a bit spoiled by his father, and he has these dreams. And, uh, but his brothers uh, betray him, basically, because uh, he gets a bit too big for his own boots. And they sell him into slavery, and then uh, that doesn't go so well. He gets chucked in prison, and then he goes... But then he gets out of prison because he interprets the dreams of Pharaoh. And he gets put uh, as second in command of all Egypt. And basically, he's running the show. Uh, So it's a major kind of story arc. Uh, It's an incredible story. But there are some loose ends in the story of Joseph. Okay? There are some major loose ends. Because Joseph has some major family issues. Like, you may think your family's a bit messed up. You may have siblings or parents that, you know, you're, st- you're at odds with, that perhaps you haven't spoken to them for years. Um, but I can pretty much guarantee your family dynamic is not as messed up as Joseph's. Joseph's whole epic saga starts with his brothers throwing him in a pit and leaving him for dead, and then deciding, actually, no, we'll sell him into slavery instead. And, and Joseph has had a long time to dwell on this betrayal. And my message today is essentially about the process of restoration. Because the story of Joseph finishes with an amazing reconciliation. Now, I don't profess to be an expert on, uh, you know, relationships as far as families being restored goes, Um, because I mercifully have a family that I get on well with. Um, My brother and sister have not attempted to throw me into slavery um, or into any pits, Uh, even though I am the favorite child of both my father and my mother. um, You can ask them, just don't tell my brother and sister, Uh, although they don't, they know. Uh, But... But I know, I know that while I might not have experienced that, God can teach us through me. And there's, a, there's just a, through the word, he's going to teach us. So why don't we pray and, and allow him to do that? God, I thank you for this amazing story of Joseph, this journey we've been on. We pray as it, as it wraps up today, you would do something in our hearts, in the lives of our families and our friends, where there's things that need to be reconciled, where there's things that need to be restored. I pray that you would help us in that journey. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we'll pick up the, the narrative. This is going to be a fair bit of story time with Dave. Uh, mate, no apologies for that because uh, there's just a, a large amount of story. Um, and it's a great story. So Genesis 42. I've put some of it on the screen. Some of it I haven't. Um, Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was, so Jacob is Joseph's father, that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? I love this. I said, why are you standing around looking at each other? Do something. He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. That's a good plan. Just, yeah, I love it. Don't want to die, so we're going to get some grain. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him because he remembers what happened to his other son. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain. For there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. And said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. I just pause there. I just want to say from the outset that the process of reconciliation and, and restoration is difficult. It's a process. You know, by now we kind of know what sort of man Joseph is. We know he's a pretty amazing dude. We know he's talented. We know he's determined. We know he's got integrity. We know he's full of grace. Remember, he's actually a type or a forerunner of Jesus. So he's got a great, a lot of great uh, qualities about him. He's a, he's an incredible guy. I say this to say this that even Joseph really struggled with the process of forgiveness. He really struggled with reconciling with his family, with those who had hurt and wronged him. And, and, and that means that the best of us, because I'd say Joseph's among the best of us, struggle with this process. So it's okay if you think, man, I really struggle to reconcile with that workmate. I really struggle to reconcile with that uncle or family member who just grates me. That's okay. There's no shame. There's no condemnation because the very best of us struggle with it because uh, Joseph is an amazing man who's overcome so much in his life, right? And he is struggling here to overcome his desire for revenge. And that just shows us the brokenness of his humanity, of our humanity. And that that this whole reconciliation thing is a process. So before we, just before we dive into that process, I just want us to dwell on this moment. In verse 6, Joseph's brothers bow down to him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph remembers his dream about them. The dream is fulfilled. Just to give you a timeline here, Joseph was 30 when he went into Pharaoh's service and there were they're two years into the famine, and, and there was seven years of good. So that makes him 39 by my uh, maths. And he has his dream when he is 17. So it's been 22 years from the start 
when he has this dream until he finds himself in this moment where all his brothers are gathered and they are bowing down to him. And he remembers his dream. But I don't think he really enjoyed it. Verse 9, this is what it says. Then he remembered his dream about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. He's, he's not there. It's come to fulfillment, and his unforgiveness has robbed him of the joy of seeing a dream which has taken 22 years to come to pass, come to pass. Like, he's, he's robbed of that. That is, that is a lesson for us. Don't let unforgiveness rob you in your life. Don't let it rob you of the fulfillment of your dreams. Don't let it rob you of the, the good things that God has. There's, a, there's an opportunity here. Joseph could have reconciled then with his brothers, but he was robbed by his own struggle with unforgiveness. It's interesting. I mean, Joseph recognizes his brothers straight away, but they don't recognize him. And, and I mean, that makes sense because he was, well, 17, so he was still young. He would have grown and changed a bit. Um, also, he's dressed as an Egyptian. He's probably got a bit of eye makeup on, uh, possibly a funky hairdo, I don't know, a wig maybe. Um, and, and his brothers, they were, they were all older than him, so they were all adults when they did this. And, and also, they think he's dead. Like, it's been 22 years. They think he's long gone. They were not looking for him. But Joseph sees these 10 brothers who come from the land of Canaan, where he came from, and he knows immediately who they are. So, we, so let's read on. So the brothers are like, no, my Lord. In verse 10, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lived lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with their father, and one is no more. Jo Joseph said to them, it is, this would have been a good time for Joseph to speak up, <laughs> but he doesn't. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get the, your brother, the rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. He's been watching too many James Bond movies. All right? And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and, so that, you, and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. So they are still thinking about what they did 22 years ago. We saw how, but, they, but their eyes are, they can't see it. We saw how, how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, harking back that time. But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. 
He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So you can see how torn Joseph is, right? He's, he's harsh on them, and yet he's weeping. He's like, he's like oh, I want to reconcile. These are my brothers. These are my, my, my blood, but I'm just, I've gone through so much because of them. And so he wants, part of him wants to reconcile, wants restoration, but part of him is just acting out of spite. Like, have you ever, have you ever acted spitefully? You don't have to show your hands, <laughs> but you can, you, can, you can just, because we've all done it. Perhaps not full-blown, cold-blooded revenge, but spite. You know, we're just petty little acts of spite. We just want them to feel a little bit of our pain, just to realize what we have been through, what they have put us through, just so they can realize. That's what Joseph does here, because he throws them in prison, right? But for three days. Like Joseph was in prison for at least three years. But he's like, actually, I want them to have a little bit of that. So I'm going to put them in there just for three days. Just, and I'm not going to tell them whether they're getting out again. I'm just going to leave them there just so they feel a little bit of what I felt. And part of us, let's be honest, part of this fallen nature in us is like, good on you, Joseph. <laughs> give, them, give them a taste of their own, their own medicine. Right? Am I right? Part of you is like, yeah, they deserve more than that. <laughs> nah, I know all you righteous saints, you're like, no, no, no. You're shocked and disgusted by Joseph's behavior. You'd never do that. Um, but, you know, you'd be right to say we shouldn't do that. Proverbs 20, says, Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and He will avenge you. But how often do we, do we actually act out of spite? And it doesn't serve us. We might think it does, but it doesn't serve us. And Joseph is here, and, and he sees and he hears his brothers, because he can understand them, but he's, he's speaking through an interpreter. And so he imprisons um, Simeon, which is actually interesting. He's the second born, probably because Reuben, the firstborn, had saved Joseph's life all those years ago. And so he didn't put Reuben in. And Reuben was saying then as well, he was like, well, it's told you we shouldn't have thrown him in. So he, he, he spares his, his um, oldest brother and he puts Simeon in prison. And then he sends them all on their way with full bags of grain. So he does help them. So you can see how he's torn. He throws them in prison, but he still helps them. Uh, and, and he wants to see his half-brother. Uh, sorry, he wants to see his full brother, Benjamin. You see, all these, these other brothers, they're all actually his half-brothers, all right? So they're all, they've got different mothers. And Benjamin, he's his, the only full-blooded brother of Joseph. And Benjamin was, was born um, to Rachel, and she actually died in childbirth. Uh, giving birth to Benjamin. And he was a, a lot younger. And so he was also probably the only one who wasn't party to the throwing in the well and the selling into slavery because he was too young. So, so Benjamin is like the, his full brother and the one who hasn't betrayed him. And so he wants to see him. And so he does something sneaky. He gets the silver his brothers brought to pay for the grain and he puts it back in their bags without their knowing just before they leave. 
Why does he do this? We, we don't actually know. Possibly he wanted to have something over them. Um, when they came back, he can point his finger again. Possibly it's a, a way of just testing them, or, or maybe it's a way of seeing that they do come back. Um, or maybe it's just them being generous again. We don't know. We don't know his motives. And that's, I just want to land here for a bit, just thinking about our motives. You know, when you're thinking about a, a, a relationship that needs some work, needs some restoring, motives are an interesting thing. You see, we don't fully understand Joseph's motives here. And it's an important reminder for us that you don't fully understand the other person's motives in that situation. The old adage of walking a mile in someone else's shoes is true. We need, we need to see things from their perspective. That's the wise way of approaching a, a disagreement is to actually ask yourself, what's their side of the story? Because there's always two sides to a story, right? And you obviously see things from your perspective, but just take a moment to try and understand their side. You do this by asking genuine questions, not questions that try and prove your side of the argument, not questions that prove how much you know, uh, but rather questions that, that genuinely want to understand. A good question is, just help, help me understand this. Help me understand what is going on for you. Or even better, ask God for the right question to ask. So, so, so actually pray, God, help me to ask the right question. Because a, a good question can unlock a situation. It can unlock, because rather than telling them all the things I've done wrong, by asking a question, you can help them to come to a realization, which is far more powerful, about their wrong in this situation. And also it can actually help you understand it as well. So ask genuine questions. And avoid, but avoid foolish arguments. Don't let those questions lead to foolish arguments. 2 Timothy 2.23 says, Stay away from all the foolish arguments of the immature, for these disputes will only generate more conflict. So we need to seek to understand the why rather than judging the what. Because we're very quick to judge the what. But we always justify our own uh, actions by our why. That makes sense? We always think about, oh, you know, I'm justified to do this, but we never think about why they are justified to do what they did. We need to put ourselves in their shoes and, and think about why are they, why have they done this? Oh, maybe Joseph did that with his brothers. Maybe he realized, you know, I was a punk. <laughs> I was an upstart. I was, I was way out of line, to, you know, to rub it in their faces about how they were going to, you know. And my, my father shouldn't have favored me the way he did. Maybe he realized that. And, and that helped him in that, in that process. And then the other thing I would say that we need to do in, in reconciliation is we need to be generous with our measure. Luke 6, and I love the, how the Passion Translation puts it in verse 37, 38. Jesus said, Forsake the habit of criticizing and judging others. And then you will not be criticized and judged in return. Don't look at others and pronounce them guilty, and you will not experience guilty accusations yourself. 
Forgive over and over and you will be forgiven over and over. Give generously and generous gifts will be given back to you, shaken down to make room for more. Abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure that it will run over the top. Your measurement of generosity becomes the measurement of your return. So we need to be generous in how we approach someone else's motives and how we approach that reconciliation process. Be generous enough to allow them to retract, allow them to say sorry. And even if they don't, which sometimes they might not, be generous enough to forgive anyway. Oh, it's hard though. (laughs) It's hard. But we, we need to learn from Joseph in this. So to go on with the narrative, I'm going to just kind of fill you in because otherwise I'll be reading chapters and chapters. The brothers head back to Canaan and their father, Jacob, and uh, Jacob despairs and he refuses to let them return with Benjamin because Benjamin's his only favorite son that's left. And uh, he states that if any harm were to come to him, it would send his gray head down to the grave in sorrow. So they stay, the brothers, and they eat all the grain they've brought back from Egypt, but then it runs out and they're back in that spot again. So Jacob eventually relents and sends them back, or goes to send them back without um, Ben. And and they're like, no, 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 we can't. And it's Judah who steps up to the plate and says, no, no, we need to take Benjamin, otherwise he'll imprison us, probably kill us, we don't know. So I'll take full responsibility, says Judah, uh, for Benjamin. So Jacob finally relents and he sends all the brothers with Benjamin back, with twice the amount of silver, um, to pay for grain. And it's interesting, they are scared. These 11 grown men are scared, like little kids. In verse 18, it says, Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they're just they're like catastrophizing. Ah, it's all going to happen. Um, and so they actually go to Joseph's steward, who's dealing with the, them, and they plead their case. And they say, no, 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 we didn't, understand, we didn't know that it was there. And, you know. and this is what the steward says. He says, it's all right. And he said, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. And then he brought Simeon out to them. It's amazing. There's a wee miracle here. Uh, and there's a lesson here for us as well and how we approach God. Because if you think about, and I don't want to draw the analogy too far, but, but Joseph is a, a, a forerunner of Jesus. He's kind of like Jesus in this situation. And you could say Pharaoh is like God. Now, obviously, Pharaoh doesn't act like God, but for the process of this illustration. And so they're coming to, to plead. And they're coming with fear. And I wonder, how often do we come to God with fear? They are scared. And we should never be scared to come to Jesus. We should never be afraid. Because Jesus is our mediator, just like Joseph was their mediator between Pharaoh and them. Jesus is our mediator. And, and, and he, he's, he's good. He's generous. He's fear. But the brothers don't know that about Joseph. They, they think he's a hard man. There is, however, we do need to come with a fear of the Lord. There is a, there, there, we shouldn't be scared, but there is a right fear, 
It's more a reverence and awe that we come. We're just in awe of the power and the authority and the majesty that, that God has. And that's actually something that we need in our lives. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So actually, we do need to have a, come, when we come to God, we do need to come with that awe and that reverence about who He is. But we need to remember that He is, He's kind. He's a good God. Just like Joseph eventually was kind towards his brothers. So they expected these brothers to be punished unjustly. And possibly in the back of their minds, they're, they're still thinking, actually, we deserve this because of what we did to our brother. Uh, even though it was 22 years ago, they still kind of think there's some kind of divine karma happening here, that they're getting punished for something they did 22 years ago. Don't worry about your sin of the past. When you come to Jesus, He deals with it. You don't need to dwell in that stuff you did years ago. It's done. It's dealt with. It's gone. Come to Jesus, yeah, with, with an awe and a reverence, but never with a fear that He's going to punish you. And then we have that, that, that amazing thing that happens in verse 23. It says, no, no, it's all right. I, you know, there was silver in the sacks. That, that, that's actually a miracle. They don't realize it. And it's, un, it's, it's representative of the unmerited favor of, of God, the, of grace. We don't know whether the steward was in on it, whether Joseph had told him about it, um, or whether he's actually just speaking prophetically and doesn't realize. But God was blessing them in that moment more than they knew. And to prove it, Simeon and their brother is released. It's a beautiful moment. So we'll go on. When Joseph came home, in verse 26, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, Joseph asked them, and then, then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. They just keep doing it. <laughs> the dream just keeps coming to fulfillment. And he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. He asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians couldn't eat with the Hebrews. That's detestable to Egyptians. Racism right there. Uh, the men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest. And they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. They, he hadn't learned. Rome's father uh, favoring him. Here he is doing it to Benjamin. But once again, we see Joseph struggling here, right? He's softening. He's serving them a feast. And he lines them up in chronological order. It's just like he's warming them up to the fact that he's going to reveal who he is. And he heaps all this food on Benjamin's plate. Um, but he can't control his emotions, and he's ducking out the back and, and weeping and then touching up his eyeliner because he's got it all, it's all running down his face. Uh, and then, and he, well, he's probably had some on. And, and, then he's, and then he's, you know, back there trying to in, interact with him. 
it's, it's just, it's funny uh, when you look at it. But then, and so as I said, there's a fair bit to this story, so I'm going to summarize. Joseph sends them all back with grain and with their silver, which is good, but he secretly hides his own silver cup in Benjamin's sack, in Benjamin's sack, which is important. So they head off, and then Joseph sends a steward after them, and he has the steward accuse him of stealing the cup. It's a dirty trick. It is a dirty trick. Joseph is still struggling. He's still far from perfect. And again, we need to understand the motives here. Joseph's motives are just actually, I think, because he loved Benjamin. Remember, he's had no family with him for 22 years. He's been living in a foreign land with a bunch of foreigners who won't even sit and eat with him. Uh, and, and, And all his other brothers have betrayed him. Benjamin is his one true brother who's never betrayed him. And he's here, and he's like, I want my family. And so I feel for Joseph in this moment. He's actually lonely. That's his motive. He wants his brother with him. The other brothers he's not so bothered about, which, to be honest, you can kind of understand. Who can blame him, really? But there's also the sad facts, and this story puts, it's interesting, that a bit of Egypt has actually snuck into Joseph, and it's represented by this cup. So if you read the whole story, this cup is the cup he uses for divination. Now, divination is essentially witchcraft. It's like the devil's counterfeit of the dream interpretation, which Joseph is so good at. So why is Joseph doing this? It's forbidden by God. But Joseph, in his long season, remember 22 years in a foreign land, some of that culture has seeped into him. And, and, it, and it's not good. And it's represented by this cup and what he does with it, how he deceitfully hides it in Benjamin's sack. Because it represents his sin and his hidden, hidden disobedience to God. You see, Christian, when you live in a culture like we do, it's going to affect you. It's going to seep in. And you might not realize how, and you might not realize it's happening, but it is. And we just, that's why it's so important that we come into this space every week, why we come into e-groups, why we pray with one another, why we read the Word, why we connect with God, because then we connect with a different culture. We connect with the God's kingdom culture, which is so different to the one around us. We've got to be wise to that. But for, for Joseph, he's allowed some of this culture to seep in to him. And so he's doing this, this wrong thing, possibly with you know some, some, some nice motives mixed in there, but it's a wrong thing. So Joseph accuses the brothers of stealing the silver cup, and it's found in Benjamin's sack. And the, the brothers despair because they know what this is going to do to their dad. They're like, oh, no, he, Jacob's not going to handle this. He's going to die. And so Judah, and it's significant that it's Judah, he pleads with Joseph explaining the whole scenario, how close Benjamin is uh, to their dad and what this would do to him uh, when he finds out if, if he doesn't come back. And I'll just read, no slides, I'll just read to you. In Genesis 44, 27, Your servant my father said to us, as Judah speaking, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces. 
and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So that's Judah quoting his dad. And then, um, skip ahead, Genesis 44, 33 says, Now then, please, Judah pleading with Joseph, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. And then we get to chapter 45. And this is where Joseph just can't handle the jandal any longer. Verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. You can't see because I've got my eye makeup on. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. And it's a beautiful, beautiful reunion, a restoration. I reckon it's one of the most touching scenes in all Scripture, I reckon. A family reunited. And it actually gets even sweeter when Jacob, when Israel, his father, comes. I'll just read you one verse in verse 45, 29. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Wow, a family reunited after 22 years. Joseph's story is, is amazing in so many ways, right? Just the, the dreams, the betrayal, the slavery, the prison, the the coming into the palace, the saving the nations with the famine, but I think God saves the best to last. The restoration of Joseph with his family. Because that's what our God is about. He's a God who restores. He's a God who puts 
the, the fatherless in families. He's, he's the God who, who loves his children so much that he wants relationship. And so that's what happens. And, and Joseph actually goes to Pharaoh on, on his family's behalf, and he gets the, the sweetest plot of land in all of Egypt. It's like the Timaru of Egypt. Uh, it's called Goshen. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, it's got Caroline Bay's right there. It's beautiful. Uh, and Pharaoh provides everything for them as well. Like they come, they bring their stuff, but actually it's all laid on. And there Jacob, he actually lives for a number of more years, but he dies there, a happy man. Because he's been restored with his son. And his family are doing well. <laughs> so, the, But the high point is this moment of restoration and reconciliation. Can I have keys come up? And this morning... I, I don't profess to know what your family situation is like. You might have good family relationships, but maybe it's not family. Maybe it's there's a workmate that, you know, you're just not on very good speaking terms with. Maybe it's a, a, a friend who used to be a friend, but you don't really count them as a friend anymore because you've had a falling out and you've closed your heart and you've shut them out. I just want to say that God's not happy with that. God's not happy with that broken relationship. Yes, sometimes there are people that we need to actually distance ourselves from because they're poisonous in our lives. But there, if there's a broken relationship and it's because you are harboring some resentment, some, some, some hurt, possibly you've acted out of spite in that, then, then you need, we need to see relationship restored. Can I just ask you to, to stand to your feet? I'm just about done. Just like Joseph, I don't want unforgiveness to rob you of what God has for you. Remember, the dream was robbed. The fulfillment of the dream was robbed by Joseph's own doing, by his own unforgiveness. In a, in, a, in a relationship, in the, those relationships, we need to learn from Joseph's struggle because restoration can happen. It can be done, but it will be hard. It will be a process. But if Joseph can forgive such betrayal, so can we. The amazing thing about the way Joseph comes to this point is that he actually sees God's hand in it. When he's talking to his brothers, he's not blaming them at all. He's actually, no, no, like, no, God has led me to this place. I see God's hand on this. Now that doesn't justify their action. Their action is still wrong. He was still genuinely hurt by his brothers, but he could see God's hand in that situation. He could see God moving. It's, it's the epitome of that scripture that, that says, God works out all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. All things, including your betrayal, including your hurt, including your brokenness because of the thing that that person did. God uses that in your journey. God can take even that and craft something beautiful in your life and in their life. We need to actually rise to that plane where we see God's hand in that broken relationship.
We need to see, actually, God, you needed to teach me about forgiveness. You needed to give me an inkling of how much I've been forgiven by helping me to forgive them. We, we actually, we need to see God's hand in that process and allow Him to help us to forgive. So just, just, just close your eyes in this moment now. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but I believe there's a number of people here and you need to let go of some bitterness or unforgiveness or hurt in your heart towards someone. If that's you, there's no shame. There's no condemnation. But just raise your hand because I want to pray and believe with you that there's going to become a restoration. There's going to come a breakthrough in that relationship. Okay, let's, let's pray together. Let's agree together. Thank you, God, that you forgive us. We thank you for this amazing story of Joseph, who was so betrayed and yet could come to that place of reconciliation with family. Lord, I pray for all those who have some brokenness in relationships, some, whether it's friends or family or workmates, where restoration and reconciliation has to happen. God, help us to be generous in our measure. Help us to reach out and offer forgiveness, even if it's not asked for. God, help us to be like Joseph and to see your hand in it, to see you working in our hearts and in the situation. God, give us the grace to forgive because it can only be done by you and us. We ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us, to enable us to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if, if that's touched a nerve and you want to talk or pray through something further, please come and have a chat with me. I would love to help you in that journey because that is, that is God's heart that we are reconciled in our relationships. There's one more uh, group of people I want to pr uh, pray for. You remember how I said... Um, that it was significant that Judah was the one who put himself out there in place of Benjamin. He said, no, no, I'll, I'll go in place of Benjamin, in place of the son. I will, I, he was actually prepared to die in his brother's place. It's significant because Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. See, in this wee scenario, Judah represents Christ. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. See, Jesus has stepped into that place for you. He's, I'm gonna, he said, I'm going to pay the ransom. I'm going to potentially put my life on the line for you. Not just potentially, Jesus did. Put his life, gave his life for us. Just like Judah was prepared to do it for Benjamin, God's prepared to do it for you. But He's only prepared to do it for you if you respond. He's done it for you, but He needs you to respond for it to happen. So just with every eye closed and head bowed in this place, if you want to receive that, that ransom that Jesus has paid for your life, that you can come into relationship with God, that you won't be punished for the wrong that you have done, that you'll get a free card, that you'll come into relationship with God both now and into eternity, then just raise your hand. I'll see it and you can put it down and then we'll pray together. Is there anybody here this morning? 
You're like, yes, I need to make that call. 